I did it. I hit the record button. You did? The big red button? With my mouth. With your mouth? I know. It's incredible. The things I do with this thing. It's so versatile. Did we ever talk about this quad stick that you and my other friends pooled together money for and bought me? I think we did, yeah. But I, because I'm kind of obsessed with it, so I'm sure I've brought it up many times. Like, we've definitely talked about it in its existence, but I don't know if we talked about its origin story. They're like, okay, can go ahead and tell us the origin story. Did we? I don't know. I don't, I don't want to rehash, but. No, but just, can you promise me to make it more interesting than a Marvel movie? There was a boy in a wheelchair struggling to move his hands, feet, and other extremities. <laughs> the only access to his computer was with voice commands. I didn't know Siri was the new trailer announcer. And then it cuts to me being like, mouse five, flick, <laughs> right click. <laughs> Stop talking. Stop listening, go to sleep. <laughs> this summer. <laughs> this summer <laughs> is what stick. Anthony McCallick is the straw sucker. Still disabled. <laughs> Anthony McAuliffe in lip service. <laughs> Imagine it was like a, a movie about a superhero, or a movie about a disabled superhero is like Can't Man and the Wasp. <laughs> <laughs> this summer, Can't Man can. <laughs> 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 But yeah, no, it was amazing. Um, Like a couple of years ago, still during the pandemic, I would say, maybe it was like right near the beginning because it was, I was like stuck at home more than ever. And the only outlet for me and, you know, most people, especially disabled people, was the computer. So I was doing everything on, on that, right? I still do. And I did before, but like, especially during that time where there was no other way to escape. I wasn't really seeing people. It was just my computer. And I wasn't able to do anything uh, on the computer with my hands anymore. Like I used to be able to type, right? I was typing out code and actually using a keyboard, but then my disability progressed and I had to start using voice only. And I think you and I and our group of friends we played a lot of those Jackbox games on the on the, the internet over like video calls, and you could hear me playing the game because I had to do it by by voice. So I'd be like mouse five click, and then I'd like spell out my answer and, and try to like spell it using the phonetic alphabet so that you guys would have to try to figure out when I was typing, so it wasn't as easy for you to know what my answer was up front. But I remember you specifically being like, I'd be like, um, Papa Oscar, Oscar, Papa. And you'd be like, oh, he's writing poop. And like, <laughs> you'd like out me in front of everyone. So then I'd have to like mute myself or change my answer or like <laughs> just mess with you and like say things. I remember like pretending to spell my answer, but it was just me spelling like, Jamie is a tool or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or like you, it's a you'd goose. be like, uh, Jay, what is Jay? Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, Jay, Jamie is a, oh, and then I'm like, click. <laughs> but eventually, I think you guys realized 
A, you were sick of listening to me do this, but you also realized for me that it was probably very annoying to have to go through and, and slow, right? And so I think I had talked about how I just found this new contraption called the quad stick, and it would allow me to control the computer just using my mouth. And it was like a joystick. I wasn't sure if I'd be able to use it, but it, it must be at least a little bit better than this voice-only option. And so I started telling people about it because that's what I do when I come up with something new. I yeah, share it with all my friends. Really, look at this robot vacuum I just bought. Yeah, yeah, the robot vacuum. Right, and so same thing with this. I was telling all my friends, like, I'm gonna save up and buy this thing because it was like eight hundred dollars or something. It wasn't cheap. Yeah. So I had to like, you know, actually make a conscious effort to decide to purchase it. And then this was maybe like end of March, mid March, something. My birthday rolls around in April. And you guys like video called me for my birthday, obviously. Then yeah, uh, gave gave me the announce that you bought this thing for me, and that it was either here or on its way. I can't remember. And um, it was just absolutely incredible. It was like maybe the nicest thing in recent memory that my friends had like done for me because it it showed that they were listening. It showed that they were like seeing me as I was, the fact that they all had to get together and pool money together and purchase this thing and like have to figure out what it is that I really wanted. Because usually I'm very independent with those kinds of decisions. And I'll just buy it and like I know what I need and I know how to do the research to find out what I need. Besides telling you there is this cool thing, I wouldn't have told you like what size or what style or what pressure all those things and you guys figured all that out and bought it and it it was just like yeah i have never felt more loved by my friends than in that moment it was fantastic and i think about that every day when i'm not talking to my computer (laughs) it's quite an intimate gift right it's like buying you it's like buying you a, a, a a pair of underwear but it has optimal utility and it's really can you please explain that parallel that you're drawing because i'm not quite following you <laughs> yeah. like underwear is like a I fairly know lips involved sometimes you know like unmentionables you know like it's like one of those items where you you would only buy it for yourself in private because you know exactly what you need and because it touches your junk but then like you right. know <laughs> someone close to you when they buy it for you it's like oh they really do know me you know yeah yeah i mean well how did it go down on your side i imagine it was very much like you guys had to figure out of the options you could choose, which ones you should choose. Yeah. I think there was just like, a, it was like a, a group chat for, for me. Like I wasn't very heavily involved. Just like, hey, can you pool? You were just like, yeah, how much money? Yeah. Right. Uh, but um, give me a second. I've had a very, very long day and I got a lot of, I got a, I had a good rest last night, but it was a three day weekend because Canada Day fell on a Friday. And so my brain has been in siesta mode and I finally had a, a stretch of time without thinking of wor- about work that my brain was able to kind of reboot itself. And now like returning to my routine feels extra, extra hard. Yeah. Did you do anything for Canada today? I, uh, I went out for dinner on Thursday night, which was kind of big for me because I've only been out for dinner a few times during the pandemic. 
and I got to see some friends and we went to the marina um, and we got gelato and I saw a big gaggle of geese on the grass. You did. You sent me a picture of your geese. Yeah, I did because... Because you knew that it would instill in me, it's a geese. Yeah, yeah. It felt so silly that I was sitting there amongst like 10 geese. Yeah, how did that happen? Because someone else took your picture. Yeah. So you must have had to be like, hey guys, there's some geese over here. Can one of you take a picture in front of them? No, like I was with uh, I was with uh, two close friends and they thought it was quite scenic, I guess, or remarkable that there were all these geese. So then my friend Adele was like, I've got to get a picture of Jamie. And then, so my friend Steve was being just like a real goof, like canoodling with the geese. And so I was like looking at him laughing and then they took the picture. It was a great picture. I considered posting it on Instagram, but I was also afraid what you might do in return. No, I don't have any more uh, handsome pictures of you to blackmail you with. (laughs) Good to know. I'm going to post it right after we stop recording. I just don't know. Like, it would be a total non sequitur. Like, what would be the point of the post? Here's yeah, it Jamie doesn't have outside. to be a point. Yeah, here's Jamie, period. <laughs> That's period. a great reason to post. No, usually when I post that a picture of you... That will be my you, caption. Here's Jamie. No, usually when I post a picture of you, is because you look good and I know, you'd, I know you'd be okay. You look good in that picture. I look like a clown. No, you, it's, you have like a genuinely happy smile. Like... It looks like you're very happy to be with those geese. <laughs> yeah, I kind of am. It felt like such a weird, like, they weren't friendly, by the way. They were quite hostile. Geese are not friendly, no. No, they just shit everywhere and hiss at you. I That was, that kind of burst my goose bubble, to be honest with you. I wanted them to be, like, serene and personable, and they weren't. For our non-Canadian listeners, we're talking about Canadian geese right now. But because we're Canadian, we obviously get to just say geese. Yeah, geese. So, Tony, what's your favorite thing to do with your quad stick? My, practically, honestly, it's just increased my productivity throughout the day 15-fold at least. That's wonderful. Like, I'm so much faster um, at pretty much anything. Like, I, I don't feel hindered by my disability when it comes to my efficiency on the computer nearly as much. Maybe when I'm typing, still when I'm coding, because when I'm typing an email, I still use voice. When I'm coding, voice is not really that useful. And the quad stick isn't really that useful either because it's you're kind of like uh, typing one letter at a time either way. I was but, just thinking, sorry, just for a moment. This seems like a quintessential problem that programmers would be good at solving. There are, I've looked into it a little bit. There are some voice coding things that you can get into. Like you can set up something to, depending on the language you're using, and then you can learn certain phrases that will automatically start typing out certain commonly used like coding blocks, right? Right. Uh, I've looked into it a bit. The thing is, it, it's sort of, I'm sort of like, I don't use the same language enough. Like, I'm not like a, I'm, I'm like a 
full stack developer. So I'm using a lot of different languages and yeah. a lot of different tools. If I was only using one language all the time, it might make a bit more sense because then I could just get used to it. Because really, you have to learn a whole new language to interact with this programming language, right? Like you have to learn a whole new set of commands to type out the things you want to type. And I'm just not that proficient in any one language programming wise because I use so many different ones all the time. It would be a very steep learning curve for me. Yeah, you're a victim of your own logical worldliness. <laughs> you know too many languages. But um, <laughs> I, I was just thinking it would be like interesting to uh, have to distill, for example, a lot of programming languages are object-oriented, and that's regardless of like the the place you are within the stack. Is irregardless the same as inflammable? I don't know. No, like it's just the same word as regardless. I think I think one is grammatically incorrect. Like irregardless may not even be a, a word. But then flammable and inflammable also mean the same thing. If it, if something's inflammable, what I would think yeah. it would be. If it's inflammable, I don't know. Good question. Inflammable. I'm pretty sure. If, anyway, sorry, I took you off the rails. I just wanted to say, like, it, it would be an interesting project to try to reduce, like, a subset of object-oriented programming languages to a series of voice macros for scaffolding an application. Like, it would be cool to for, like, people to realize, like, okay, well, there's all these common elements of a of certain programming languages and if we develop this this vo all these voice command macros then anthony could full stack develop while feeling relatively unhindered between body and mind oh so you're saying that i could just say like create function and then it would know contextually what language i'm using and then write out what i need to do for that language yes exactly like there are platforms yeah. like no node.js that that have these like super robust scaffolding tools where you literally can type like a small subset of commands and it will give you a base application like with like rudimentary like domain definitions right out of the gate and you just sort of you just have to have like a vague idea of what your app needs to do and then choose your language and it it will make the the basics for you that's a very very good point it's it's like a no code solution that you could then use as a voice solution that would that would maybe even lower the barrier to entry for non programmers because you could say like create a function and you don't have to know what the actual code is to do that it just types it out for you mhm mm yeah that maybe that does exist i don't know i feel like it very much does but as to whether or not it has like a well-documented and large community that is yeah. like a whole other question. That's for debate. Nowadays, it seems like the actual technology that you use, I, 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 I'm talking out of my ass, I guess. Like it's more important to, to recognize your business need and to recognize that which your application is meant to accomplish fully than it is to like understand the, the technology that underlies your application. Obviously, like the the technical side of it is very 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 important, but if you head into it without a without a fully realized definition of the problem you're trying to solve, 
you that's mostly what hinders people from actually achieving something yeah i'm doing i'm going through that right now where i'm tasked with creating a new product and um the solution we use doesn't necessarily matter as long as it achieves the goals that we've set out to achieve um realistically it's just whatever makes you most agile and quickest to develop something but you do have to consider like your like long-term goals and technical debt and stuff like that but definitely i think like no code solutions are becoming more and more viable in large business cases now no code is basically just another level of abstraction from the actual computer exactly but we're very much away from where we're supposed to be talking about which is disability related stuff have you fallen off any toilets recently <laughs> no, you? No, unfortunately, I have no stories to tell about falling off toilets. I'm trying to think of like any disability related stuff that's happened. And can I ask you something? Um, yes, please. When you first meet an able bodied person, mm-hmm. like, can you tell if they'll be good at pushing you in a manual chair? <laughs> no, but I also don't use a manual chair very often. Ever? Almost never. I actually just threw mine out. What? Yeah. It was taking up space in my balcony. What? And I wanted the space for myself. Oh my God. That was under a tarp and it was like rusty. And I was just like, I'm never going to use this thing. Tony, that's the yuppiest disabled thing I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I'm like barely disabled. Honestly, my goal is to just throw up my power chair too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll just like float around on the backs of plebs who carry you to the wherever you need to go. How many wheelchairs do you have? Uh, I don't know, th- four. Really? Yeah, I have two power chairs and two manual chairs. That's incredible. You're so disabled compared to me. I know, extra disabled. <laughs> <laughs> I have one, and it's barely working these days. Really? Is and that true? Like Take it on a plane, yeah. Tony on a plane. Hey, um, so hold on a second. Can I explain why I think that's the yuppiest thing I've ever heard, that you threw out your manual chair? Okay, first of all, yes. But second of all, I didn't throw it in the garbage, if that helps. I gave it to Motion Specialties. Okay. And they, you know, used it for parts or projects or whatever. So you like gave your wheelchair up for adoption? Good yeah, job. Yeah, I donated it to a good home. I'm sure you did, yeah. Yeah, it's being fostered and <laughs> hopefully we'll find a new owner soon. Do you feel um, vulnerable in a manual chair? Like you don't feel safe? It's not enjoyable for you? I feel vulnerable for sure because I have no control over like my own position. In my power chair, I tilt back and I move my head around and... Because I have like a power headrest, I, I recline, I put my feet up and down. Like I'm moving quite a bit. In a manual chair, I don't have that freedom at all. So I'm completely at the mercy of somebody else. It's really just a chair that people move around so I can be present in the environment. But yeah. beyond that, I don't feel autonomous or independent at all. Yeah, But I don't feel unsafe. 
So in like your manual chair, you feel like it's just like a Tony package delivery system? Yeah, it's like if I was on a comfortable wheelbarrow. Yeah, yeah, it just delivers the Tony wherever necessary. It's basically just, he's here now. And then they move <laughs> to another room, you're like, can someone bring him? Yeah, it's just a Hodor who's not a person. I might as well be just ahead on a stick being moved around. Oh, no. Don't compare yourself with a Jeff Dunham joke. Jalapeno <laughs> on a stick. <laughs> so I there's several things here that I can sort of relate with. I've had many mobility aids in my life that I've opted to throw out because I just fucking hated them. Like your scooter? My scooter got rid of that shit. I wish I could have thrown that out for you. <laughs> oh, we should have, like, blown it up or something. That would have been so fun. Kaboom! Okay, so you threw out your scooter. Yeah, I threw out my scooter. I threw out a stander, like, when I was a child. I threw that shit out because basically a medieval torture device that just, like, resentful, angry uh, physiotherapists uh, would use to torture uh, cerebral palsy children. Right. Make their day a little bit more or a little bit more interesting, I guess. I don't know mm-hmm. why the fuck did standards exist? Bunch of horse shit. And I then, remember the moment where a, a doctor told me that I won't be able to keep using my standard. And, you and I had to feign, I had to feign disappointment. No, you didn't. Because my parents were there. Oh my God. And I had to be like, oh, really? Are you sure? Forever? And they were like, well, maybe you could do it once. And I was like, oh, you said forever? That's too bad. And like, no, maybe like once a week. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I heard you say forever. Let's (laughs) think about that. I really don't understand this. It's like, it's like uh, able bodied parents and uh, confused and angry physiotherapists invented standards in order for disabled people to have like something emblematic of a gym. And so when we give up on the standard, <laughs> we effectively give up on our physical wellness or something. Yeah, and they're like, oh, I used to stand. <laughs> Those are the days. It was all downhill from there. <laughs> like, And then they look at power chairs like they're tobacco or like dairy or something. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the manual chair users I know definitely do feel like using a power chair is like giving up. For sure. That definitely used to be uh, the outlook that was imparted upon me by my parents and not my fault whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Not something that I've continued to internalize well into my 30s and probably still not a very good influence on other disabled people because of it. That said, standards are actually pretty good for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah they absolutely are yeah like it's pretty good to get circulation down there it's really good for your bones to be load-bearing yeah. it's good for your spine it's good for your joints to be stretched out yeah it's, it's actually good really your... good for you but i'm not yeah, it's... <laughs> it's really good for your brain too and all the other things that need blood flow it's it's honestly very interesting to see the world because as me as you, I see the world from like four heights. Yeah, I know. And it's like set heights. It's not yeah. a range. It's just this height, this height, this height, and that height. Exactly. And when you're in a standard, it's a whole new height. And it's like a whole new perspective. You see like new dust that you've never seen before. Yeah. You see like cables that you've never seen. You yeah. see 
friends that you've never seen. You do. And and there is something to be said about being disabled and having new heights. Yeah, standing can be fun because you get like you get in different as you say, you get another vantage upon the world. And yeah. it's easier to reach for things. It's always harder to reach for things from a seated position. But also just feel like I have elevation on my chair, which you know lets me go up uh, a few inches. Like the U2 song, you have it like on your your power chair to sick. There's a, a, a U2 song called Elevation. Didn't you see Laura Cross Tomb Raider in 2001? L-A-V-A-T-I-O-N. It's the one where they're like, where yeah, he's like, whatever you say isn't going to help me. <laughs> it's the one where Bono's making like whale noises. It's like, ooh, 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 ooh. Wow, this is a very good impression of a whale. <laughs> I'm so impressed. I feel like I'm watching National Geographic. It's like, uh, it's like high, higher than the sun. Shoot me from a gun. I need you to elevate me here. The corner of your lips is the orbit of my dick or something. Blah, blah. Oh, yeah, you're trying to pretend you don't know all the words. Good color, good color. <laughs> it's funny that your musical trivia comes from movie trivia. Of course it does. <laughs> My whole life comes from movie trivia. It does. We were just watching whatever we were watching for today. You're like, that came out in this year. That means I was this old. It was a Wednesday. <laughs> That's how my brain works, Tony. Yeah, it's impressive. No, it's not. It's just a, a weird curse. No, it's not. I was being polite. <laughs> I was being polite. <laughs> 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 so what else did you throw out as an able-bodied disabled person okay okay let's see i threw out forearm crutches fuck forearm crutches okay they're awful they're off they the like forearm crutches forearm crutches are like if your tibia had no foot you know they have no <laughs> base like <laughs> like i'm just saying it's it's stupid that people expect us. Like, so, are you saying that you'd like to reinvent forearm crutches with feet on them? <laughs> yes, yes, with like fully articulated feet. I'm pretty sure you could. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's probably even hard to do. It may probably not like anatomically useful feet, but I'm just like because you know what I'm saying because you have to focus all your weight. Presumably, if you don't weight bear a lot on your legs, which I don't, then you got to focus a ton of your weight on these little narrow crutch tips. And the narrowness of the tip is almost like a flex. It's like, ooh, look how I barely need to use this crutch. It's like so fuck forearm crutches. It's They're like so almost dumb. not even a crutch for you. I, okay, like I, every day in high school, at the end of the day, from like 3.15 to 3.40, they, I had to walk a, around around the school. It was like a horseshoe. So you just go around and around and around. And I had to walk on forum crutches with a full bag of homework on my back. And I had an EA stand Up next to both ways. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. In the middle of winter, <laughs> there was icy inside. <laughs> inside, yeah. All the snow would blow in from the outdoors. But anyway, so yeah, and then if I started to fall, which was many, many times, by the way, because it was because like somebody with, cere with spastic cerebral palsy on forearm crutches is like an able-bodied person on a fucking tightrope. That's what it feels like the whole goddamn time. Uh -huh. You feel like a fucking 
You, it feels like French Cirque du Soleil. I'll tell you that's not what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> it looks more like any circus in Planet of the Apes. Oh, I, could you please elaborate? You're like hunched over like an ape and yeah. walking around like an ape. Yeah. And I really feel like if you motion captured yourself using forearm crutches, you would be Tarzan. For sure. Yeah. It also develops your body a lot like Tarzan as well. Yeah. Incredibly top heavy. But anyway, the point is I had to do this every day at the end of the day for like 20 minutes. And it was all like I was always scared of falling the entire fucking time. I never felt like I actually found my center of gravity because I don't have one. Yeah. It was never there to be found. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I respect the people who like expected me to do this every day. Um, but I just hate form crutches because I just associate them with the perpetual fear of falling and just the, the tyranny of gravity in general. Okay, that's totally the reason why surprise I've never used form crutches. So the whole point of what I'm trying to say is that in general, we tend to throw out the orthotics and or mobility devices that cause us grief. So I'm hypothesizing that you only throw out your chair, not necessarily because you didn't have any utility for it, but because you don't like being inside of it. Yeah, especially now in my older life when I've sort of come to terms. Like your older life, are you in an old folks home? What do you mean? Yeah, now that I'm retired <laughs> and I have to, before I take my dentures out every night, yeah. I think about how... Back in my day, I used to resent a lot of assistive technology because yeah. it made me feel more disabled. And when I say assistive technology, it could be anything, and it could include even just a wheelchair or a stander or like a machine that used to help me breathe. Can I say, like, we've only just sort of entered the era of technology that is also fashionable? Right, where it's become consumer. So you're right. A lot of the, what I would consider now assistive technology is stuff you can buy at Best Buy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or like I'll just order a piece of assistive technology on Amazon. Or when my assistive technology fails, I can just get a new charger on Amazon. What I mean by more fashionable, it's like how in the 90s, every computer was made out of the same like clinical beige plastic material that you'd see on the side of like an MRI machine. Right? Yeah, exactly. Now it's like, cool. Like there's like some of these machines like for sleeping at night, yeah. I actually want to buy them just because the tech brain in me goes, oh, that looks like cool, a cool piece of equipment. Yeah. And I recently was actually on the hunt for a new mask for sleeping. Because I've been using the same style of mask for like a decade without really thinking that there has to be a better, more like you said, fashionable mask option for me out there now. So I started researching it. There's like YouTube channels dedicated to this stuff now. People try every mask and send you coupon codes for masks and <laughs> to like best places to buy them and and I eventually ended up finding a new mask that is so much better in every possible criteria I can imagine. It's easier to put on, it's faster, lower profile, it doesn't get in the way, I can see, I don't look ridiculous. Like, who knew that all of these things 
for it exists. And now I just order it on Amazon. When I was a kid, uh, I used to have to wear AFOs every day. Mm-hmm. And that always meant that I never wore shorts because I don't know. How do you even describe like AFOs? Like they were these uh, plastic casts that you basically put on your feet to try to isolate your ankle so that you wouldn't exacerbate um, various orthopedic issues that would come as a result of having full range of motion and moving every day with a disability. It's kind of, kind of, kind of looks like like a molded version of a knee brace that you might buy after a knee injury, where it just covers your ankle and your thigh right. or your calf. Sorry. Yeah, and like it, it they always sort of look childish, and they look like no one is meant to see them. Oh, yeah, they always ask you, what color do you want? Do you want any stickers? Yeah, you could be like a, like a 30-year-old man, and you go to get new orthotics as a disabled person, and they're like, should we carry over the Batman symbol that you've put on your splint since you were seven? And you're like, I didn't realize I'd be using these this long. And yeah, uh, the current material that we're using is sponsored by uh, Pokemon Go. Right. <laughs> I bet you it's the same thing for prosthetics because, um, you know, even five, 10 years ago, prosthetics were like, here's a foot. This is your foot. (laughs) And now it's like, what skin tone do you want? Do you want it to look like a foot? Do you want separate toes? Or you can just be like, go against the grain and get one of those. um, I don't know what the right term is, but like, you know, there's like blades. They're like rounded. And they, they have like a spring step that actually looks so cool. And there was, I think, an Olympic runner that was a hot topic for a bit because they were trying to decide if his prosthetic blade foot was giving him an unfair advantage over the able-bodied runners because it yeah. had like a bit of a spring step. And, then they, and so they now just... we're at the point where, you know, assistive technology or prosthetic etc can almost put you in ahead of the crap or it can at least give you like it can at least be an accessory yeah. like in in a superficial sense <laughs> imagine like at some point a famous like fashion mogul becomes disabled and then all of a sudden we get like leg bags by kelvin klein <laughs> 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 they already have underwear right yeah, it's the logical next step. What do you think about wheelies who take their catheter bags? So it's just a, like a clear plastic pouch that their catheter drains into, therefore filled with pea-colored pee, and just hang it on the side of their wheelchair. Have you ever seen this? No. It's pretty common, and I'm always like, should I respect the, I don't know, bravery, the lack of insecurity that comes with being like, yeah, I use a leg bag and there it is on the side of my chair. Or should I, and this is probably more how I feel, be like, do you just not realize that it's, you could just put it in like a fanny pack or a bag and cover it up like people don't really want to see that? Well, like it, it all depends, right? Because it's like what I don't necessarily feel qualified to really ask the, ask these questions because I don't use a catheter. If you did, 
If I did, I would be mortified to have it on display. Right. Me too. Yeah. But I don't think I'd wear shorts anymore. Maybe there's some physical constraint that's preventing the person from not disclosing it or wait. What do you mean? But I don't know. Like maybe there's a reason they have to have it out in the open. I'm not sure. Maybe, but I think like I know for a fact that you can get bags to put them in. Like vanity pouches. Right. But part of me is like, who cares? Like you shouldn't I don't want people to tell me that I should be embarrassed of having a feeding tube or ashamed of having to wear ankle high compression socks every day. You know, any of any of the things that I decided are, are a part of my routine. So who am I to, to say that I wouldn't want to see that? But I don't know. I, like, I feel similarly about when I see people in wheelchairs that have, like, the bright construction vests on the back of their chair. Yeah. And I get it. It's practical. You don't want to be hit. Maybe you have been hit or you've been in a close call and you said this was a safe choice for you. But at the same time, in my opinion, it looks absurd. Well, I can't, I have a similar feeling. Like I get like a pang of frustration or guilt or something when I see a wheelie exactly that, like with the, with the fluorescent uh, flags and the like decorations on their chair that are designed to make them more visible when they're traveling via power chair, like out in public, potentially on the sides of roads and everything else. Excuse me, it completely makes sense, but then it makes it makes us look like little human Zambonis or like forgotten construction crew members. Like it's very, <laughs> it's very, very, very odd yeah. and kind of tr- kind of tragic in a way. I think what we're talking about is more like is more like okay, yeah. So there's probably several realities that disabled people have to cope with on a daily basis that are really hard and that need to be talked about and confronted in particular ways but you can there are still decisions you can make within those limitations where you can you can have some some style some some personality you can present yourself in a way that is truly you and that and that preserves i guess your privacy and your your pride and like dignity and these are buzzwords that are that are difficult to use or to deploy because in bringing them up you always make you always make people think of the converse. So when I say that I deserve dignity, then people will think of me as potentially undignified in certain aspects of my life, or that if I say I'm a proud person, then the inverse is always on the table. But it's like, I think it is important to assert yourself as a disabled person. And when we see things like this, like a lot of times it feels like decisions or aspects of a disabled person's presentation that were set in stone for them by their caretakers. Whatever occupational or physiotherapist came with the power chair said, like, you got to make sure to put these ridiculous little fluorescent flags on the back of your chair because you need to make sure you're visible on the highway. And it's like, it just seems like, yeah, you know, no no person with any amount of confidence or 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 character or presence of mind would settle for this. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's like sometimes it feels to me uh, like maybe a lack of self-awareness, but I think you're also right in that sometimes it's just pure 
unawareness of what the options are. I yeah. felt the same way when I was getting this new mask I was just talking about, because up until that point, I was like, I guess this is just what I have to wear every day. Yeah. And then I started researching it, and I was like, this one looks way better. There's way more what I, what I would like to be able to wear. Yeah. Can I not just wear it? And yeah. I tried it, and it worked. And now that's the one I wear. And I, I had to have this moment of eureka, self-awareness, whatever, where I decided that maybe I don't need to have this exact thing. Maybe there's a better way. Well, yeah. So it's it's this it's the the notion of uh, exploring all options available to you, and like asserting your your personality within those options. And when when you've done that, it is it is evident to everyone else. It's like when I see sometimes like I see wheelies in public who have given up wearing shoes and just wear like they have pillows on their foot pedals and really thick socks. Yeah. And I'm just like, I really wish that either there was some way for that particular aesthetic to be more unique to that person. Or like, could there not be a shoe that we can wear? Like if you have issues with the uh, circulation or, or whatever it is, can we, can we please have some style? Can we please have some options so we can fucking be ourselves? I, I don't know. I just sometimes I think that the reason we don't is purely because we don't have a voice in the solutions that are presented to us. Yeah. A lot of times we don't have a, a, a voice like th that lack of voice is as much social conditioning as it is, you know, on the disabled person to self-advocate. Yeah, exactly. But I think a big part of it is not even knowing when you can Advocate, obviously you can advocate whenever you want, but knowing that there's actually freedom of movement in a space. Like, mm -hmm. I just keep going back to this mask example, but I just had to sort of think, I there has to be a better mask. Mm -hmm. And then I started looking, and then I found one, and then I made it work. And to have that almost like moment of reflection on a routine that has otherwise been working. Sometimes you have this fear that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And then sometimes you have to overcome that and say, well, maybe it's not broken, but maybe it could be working even better. We're talking about something that we frequently talk about in all kinds of different ways, but it's this notion that like, when you are truly like a member of a community, your other community members have expectations of you. There's a bar, right. there's a bar that exists and it's it's one that you should aspire to and you don't necessarily have to meet the bar or exceed the bar but you should be showing some kind of effort or some awareness of the bar and like the very fact that people have expectations of you means that you you belong to that community and you have a role and a purpose and sometimes like we lament the the, the general feeling that no one has any expectations of disabled people you know like just that we exist surprises people exactly. that's like really disappointing and disheart disheartening and so it's like we like like i know this is full of contradictions and i know that it's fraught with potential potentially bad like disability politics but like i want to meet the minimum expectations necessary to be a meaningful participant in my community and that means putting some effort into how i present myself and 
looking after myself in all the different ways that I can. And, you know, like I can actively define what most of those expectations are and I, I can operate within those expectations, but they do exist and they are necessary to try to fulfill. Yeah, I have a tendency sometimes that because most of my tenants will just be like, okay, you've told me that this is the routine you want. Fine, this is what we'll do. And then yeah. I have other tenants that go, why don't you do it this way? Yeah. And the- sometimes it's annoying because I'm just like, because I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for a hundred years. Who are you? Yeah. And other times, maybe it's just depending on the idea, but they'll say, why don't you do it this way? And I'll think, that's actually an amazing idea. That would make everyone's life more easy. That would check off a lot of boxes for me. Yeah, let's do it that way. And so then I can integrate those changes and feel like, like you said, you're just uh, striving to be more integrated or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a big part of it is just knowing and finding and searching for places where you can improve on your day and your life. And it can be super small. It can be picking, like changing some little tiny part of your routine, or it can be making some crazy drastic change. But like, you're right. It's super important to just keep trying to be better than you were yesterday. Yeah, and I like I don't want to descend into the jargon of self-help gobbledygook, but you know, like, but if you don't like your button, your mask that you sleep with at night, mm-hmm. research options. It might be a better mask for sure. Like you have a choice, or like I mean, just keep keep fighting because, like, as a disabled person, there's always a, this pervasive pressure to just resign straight up. Yeah, because I think, like you said, it's sort of the expectation. That or the perspective is good for him. He's surviving. That's yeah. crazy. I wouldn't. But yeah. you sort of need someone to push you. And we've both talked. I've talked about it over and over again. How I want my friends to tell me, "Hey, I think you could be better in this area," because I probably just didn't think of it or didn't realize that I, I could. And hopefully, you have people like that in your life that will do that. And if you don't, honestly, either way, like you should be trying to find ways to do it yourself. But at the same time, obviously, like without beating yourself up. Yeah, it's a really touchy subject. I don't feel comfortable urging other disabled people to to try the thing that they cannot do or that they think they cannot do. Yeah, I don't want to be like toxically positive here. Yeah, it's just, just... Whatever you can do, just do everything you can to figure out yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And if there's an area you wish was better, think about it. Talk to people about it. You might find that it can be. What we're ultimately talking about, I think, is like just a, a complete absence of disabled role models. Yeah. Like, I wish that there was an Easter Seals camp that when I was younger that had only like other disabled adults or uh guides like no parents of disabled people who already are like racked with guilt and uncertainty around how to raise their child and make sure their child is included and that they have a full life like it's it's like i i i just wish as i was developing i had more exposure to people who grew up coping with the problems that i would eventually face and who could recognize like all the symptoms of 
ableism or self-loathing that would eventually fester within me while trying to actually define my own limitations. I don't know how to solve this problem. Like I, I, the problem for me is like, I don't feel qualified to go out and give advice because if I gave advice that ultimately reproduced my own fucking relationship with disability, that would not be a fucking functional outcome. Yeah. I mean, definitely don't take our advice at all <laughs> for anything ever. Um, especially disability. You, you know what I mean though? Like it's a, I, it, it's a, it's, it's like, it's like a, an alcoholic saying like, you know, don't drink, don't drink. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like I'm talking to myself too. When I'm having these conversations and I'm like, you just have to be better. I'm, when I'm saying that, I'm thinking of whatever it is I just did to try to be better or some area that I want to improve. And I'm now like reminding myself that I can do it. And so I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm preaching because I don't have it figured out. I'm still on the same journey as everyone else. Um, but like, I kind of, wish there was someone out there five, ten years ago telling me you can change these things if you don't like them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All of my role models in my 20s were able-bodied people and right. like high-achieving, like physically accomplished able-bodied people. I mean, those in my real life, not talking about like celebrities or actors that I potentially obsessed over. Yeah. And, and like, you know, I internalized a lot of their advice and it kind of made me into a very frustrated and difficult individual in a lot of different dimensions of my life. Well, it's easy to just sort of resent the advice and be like, you just don't get it. <laughs> but if you get it, if you get advice from another disabled person who has a similar life that you sort of relate to and empathize with, then it's easier to say, oh, I guess you definitely get it. I can't accuse you of not understanding. Yeah, fuck. Speaking of disabled role models, how's this guy? 28% curvature of the spine has caused reduced lung capacity. He has reduced bone mineral density. The patient has spinal muscular atrophy. It's genetic, incurable. This is not a diagnostic mystery. You have just given state secrets to the enemy. What enemy? New patient, new rules. Today, you're going to split yourselves into two teams. First, to figure out what's threatening to deprive the patient of the 20 or so miserable years he's got left with SMA, gets to keep their jobs. So the particular disabled person being talked about in that clip, I wouldn't actually say is a person. He's, it's just a vessel within which a, a disability exists in order to be parsed and pulled apart for plot developments in an episode of the TV show House MD, which... Uh, I I wasn't a fan of the episode that we watched today, nor do I think I'm ultimately a fan of the show, to be honest. How about you, Tony? Well, I, I used to watch the show when I was a kid. I always sort of enjoyed the sparring that happened among the characters. It was yeah. fun. Everyone is like superhuman wit and so quick on their feet. It had to be scripted. Yeah. But I haven't seen many episodes of it. I hadn't seen this episode of it until maybe a year ago, where similar to how I would let the attendants choose what to listen to when I'm having a shower, I will let them choose often what to watch when I'm having dinner. And right. this specific episode was requested 
one time during dinner. Not just let's watch House, but they were like, I've been watching House recently, and I just saw an episode with a guy with SMA. Obviously, they knew I had SMA, and we talked about it ad nauseum about my disability, and we actually had very, very, very amazing conversations. I really, really enjoyed talking to this person, exploring deep philosophical conversations. But Do I also, know this person? No. But also very good at being open and honest and uh, trying to get me to be vulnerable about my disability. And we were both able to be vulnerable, but like not many people are openly comfortable as you're attending to just ask about your disability. And I sort of really enjoyed it because it yeah. felt like they really wanted to get to know me. Yeah. So she was like, let's play this episode. And yeah, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, but it was definitely one of those pieces of media that I needed to consume to sort of understand how the world might perceive me. You know what uh, I mean? I do, painfully so. That's annoying. It commits a lot of the sins that we've talked about on this show. It commits every single one, flagrantly and with style. It's annoying. So hold on a minute. Your your affection for this person, do you think that colors your reception of the episode? No, I think enough time has passed. And now more than ever as a result of this podcast, I think I think more critically about media than I have in the past. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was a very passive consumer. I still am, especially compared to you, but I catch myself criticizing a lot more. Not sure if I like that. I don't necessarily <laughs> enjoy being an overly critical person. Yeah. But it happens. It's a byproduct of this. Yeah, basically the premise of this episode. Everyone knows Greg House, right? And that house is based upon Are you talking to everyone and expecting everyone to respond? Yes. Can you please be everyone? <laughs> you almost pa- you you paused. You're like everyone knows Greg House, right? waiting for them to respond. <laughs> I just like, where do I start with this? Where where do we start? Okay. Well, there's a few plot points. There's like three plot lines, right? There's, an, but the A plot is a disabled thing. Yes, it is. Yeah. Also, House himself is disabled. True. Yeah, good point. Yeah, he suffers from a leg injury. As a result of some kind of botched surgery, I think. Or he had some kind of tumor or something, and they got the tumor and saved his life. But as a result, he suffers debilitating pain and gets addicted to opiates. And he's bitter and resentful, and he treats everyone super poorly, and like they're intellectually inferior. And like he just can't bother uh, existing on the same plane as anyone. Like, so nihilistic. Yeah, but it's all it's all sort of swept under the rug because of the the weight of his pain. And I don't think this is something that, you know, showrunners could get away with nowadays. There'd be a late way, way more consequences for House directly uh, mistreating his superiors and uh, his underlings. Uh, and I don't I don't even think it wouldn't be necessarily played for much comedy. But I, I guess that opinion sort of comes 
I mean, it's, it's, it comes pre-packaged with the current climate of things. Right. So yeah, to say that House feels dated and that it's slightly too cynical and nihilistic is not going to surprise anyone. and It's not particularly insightful, but I still think that... Let's talk I'm, about this specific episode. Sure. This specific episode was like ridiculous <laughs> on all fronts. Um, so obviously we watched it because there's a guy with SMA. So I wanted to see if I could have been cast in this role. They definitely didn't cast a disabled guy for sure. No, no, they cast a, they cast like a, a shitty Scooby-Doo looking motherfucker um, yeah. who played Kirby in, in Frasier. He played uh, the son of, uh, I don't know, Jesus Christ. What was it? Oh, an intern. I think at- the son of Jesus Christ is also Jesus Christ. <laughs> And the Holy Spirit. Right, okay. Uh sorry, like this this Scooby Doo looking motherfucker is just like a like a shitty bit actor who has been on all the network television shows uh in various capacities as a stoned kid. Yeah, he plays this like sort of ambiguously disabled man. Like sometimes yeah. he's able bodied enough to do things like buckle up his dog's harness. And other times he can't even hold his own head. And then sometimes he's driving, and other times he can't take a pill without water and a straw. So it's very unclear. Way and like you said, that makes it clear that he's just a plot device rather than a character. His dog is a better actor than he is. What one hundred percent a better actor. Way more fun to watch, too. Far more entertaining. I want this dog. So anyone who's ever seen an episode of House, it's this really goofy show where they, um, where and it's a procedural show, meaning every episode is kind of self-contained. There's a wider arc for the series, but typically they they only develop the the, the wider series arc on the fucking finale episode. So if you actually want to watch House and appreciate a relatively decently written medical drama just string together all the finales for the seven or so seasons that it was on television and watch them back to back and you'll actually get a pretty a pretty decent little overly dramatic medical movie but each each episode uh is kind of like a murder mystery it's like a typical british whodunit it gets the christie style except People don't get murdered; they get sick, and the murder—the murderer, the diagnosis. Yeah, the murderer is the diagnosis. So it's like tuberculosis killed Jeff uh, in the. I don't. Whatever. I'm trying to make a joke. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. That <laughs> yeah. is exactly what it is. And then it's like it must have been Jeff. No, it wasn't tuberculosis because. How could it be? He didn't respond to the ivermectin. And then right. he was like, but did you try to V8 the pills? And then it's like, oh, no, we looked at all the other candidates and he got away and now it's too late. He's escaped. So the really goofy thing about the show is that like, for every procedural episode, it's basically just a bunch of like ostensibly sp- smart medical students. I don't think they're formally doctors yet or they're being trained to be more specialized diagnosticians 
But in in any case, every episode is just a bunch of people in a room like spitballing diseases that a particular sick person could have. And then there's always throw lupus on the table or a tumor. And we all know it's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. They should really. That would have been great if they could have had Arnold on the t- on the house's team. Could yeah. be like house. Imagine Arnold playing game with SMA. <laughs> no, <laughs> he's, he's like, just like pretending to be weak. His arms are jacked. Like, oh, I need a cup. I need a straw. <laughs> yeah, I'm something- in a wheelchair. Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> somebody hold my neck up. It's too. It's too thick. Yeah. Where is the lift? Get me a swing. <laughs> I can't lift my arm. The muscles are too heavy. Get to the command. <laughs> <laughs> I think your Arnold impression is better because <laughs> it's just more pure or something. <laughs> it's amazing. It's because I already have something in the back of my throat all the time. <laughs> so, I'm not really doing anything. You're like two degrees of separation away from a full <laughs> Arnold voice. That's my trick, is I'm always Arnold. <laughs> um, I am. But, what if Arnold was weak? Aw. <laughs> I don't supposed to say aw. I'm what so if... mad at you for saying aw. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't Never, think of ever you. Never say aw to me. You're not a weak Arnold. Don't You're say aw. I am okay, weak. Fine. It's not sad. <laughs> Oh, you didn't be Arnold in an armor school. <laughs> Fuck. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. It's not. Stop it. It's just like, oh, we're supposed to think of House as this like transgressive and rude, but brilliant guy. And it's like, like Hugh Laurie is particularly good at being snide and leering at the camera. And like, you can kind of see the pain behind his eyes. So, even when he's like totally like uh even when he's insulting you like you're you're supposed to find him uh captivating and you're supposed to aspire to please him or to see the the wounded disabled individual underneath and it's like i feel like we should say like Kiloy is a very good actor oh yeah it almost makes it worse that he's a good actor because he does occasionally sell it to you this idea that he like he is fun to watch, and he, he the talent is evident. It just makes it worse. And the writing is fun. Like the the dialogue is fun. The it, I mean, it, it doesn't age. No, can I tell you my complaint about the dialogue? Every character on House sounds the fucking same. They yeah. all they they all speak in the same voice. They're they're all like every every single one of them like no matter their 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 background their backstories like wherever they come from they're all like painfully uh trying to disclose the root of everyone's motivations they're all like overanalyzing each other and like there's this whole meta awareness of one another and of the the plot of the of the particular episode like everyone's like smarmy and self-aware in a really painful inorganic way it's like that's a really good point actually my dad used to say that all the time about so many shows that we would watch because he wouldn't watch tv but he would be in the living or in the kitchen like doing dishes or something and he would always be like 
right, if you read the script and took all the names out, you wouldn't be able to tell me who was saying which lines. For sure. It's like the same character. They've they've taken one character, which is Greg House, and they've split him out between like seven different people. So yeah. it's, it's, it's just one person talking to themselves throughout the whole episode. And it's like everyone is supposed to, it's like a very like a television idea of intellect. I guess that's a good point. Like because I enjoy House and, you know, Hugh Laurie in this show, it gives me more patience for everyone sounding like him because I just want to listen to his inner monologue and his like battle of his own conscience. And that's sort of what the show is. There are three characters on the show who have a distinctive voice. So there's House, Cuddy, and then there's House's friend, Wilson. Yeah. And they are all fairly seasoned actors. They've all appeared like either in movies or British comedies or like long-standing TV shows. And so their uniqueness is not really a function of the writing, but more of their experience. And like they're able to do line readings that make it sound like that make them sound distinct from everyone else. Robert Sean Leonard, who plays Wilson, is actually one of my favorite actors. Like he's from like Ethan Hawke uh, and like Uma Thurman's generation. I think he's one of the most uh, interesting uh, movie performers ever. I think the only kind of major film he was ever in was Dead Poet Society. And there's a Richard Linklater movie called Tape that I love, love, love with that motherfucker in it. I think that he's like one of the most uh, empathetic and caring kind of performers. I don't know what it is. I just get a vibe from this dude and I really like him. I wish he was in more stuff, but he's he, he, like in this episode. House's friend Wilson is the only character that I really wanted to be in the same room with. Everyone else is just a fucking pain in the ass. What about the disabled guy? We haven't talked about him at all. Oh, yeah. Just, I'm really not interested in the disabled guy. He's just, like, again, he's just fodder for the diagnostic elements. And he's so, like, self like self loathing in the most cookie cutter way he's he's constantly describing the experience of disability as though speaking from the vantage of someone who's who's never been disabled it's just a, an able bodied person's poorly uh, conceived idea of the worst manifestation of a disabled experience ever that's the other thing that these that these TV shows do that like to highlight particular professions or institutions is they incorporate a lot of buzzwords like all throughout house like characters are spouting like multisyllable names for very specific kinds of of diseases or or symptoms and it's there purely to create the sense that you are like cohabitating in a hospital environment it has really nothing to do with like Letting the viewer follow the show. Well, they have to give the medical advisors a job. I know, but it's in any good mystery, like in any good whodunit, the audience should be given enough information and the problem should be framed in a coherent enough way that the audience member feels that they could solve the problem where the character is not present. So that when our hero, that when House or his underlings do eventually diagnose the problem, we think, oh, of course, that's what did it. Of course, the culprit was tuberculosis or cancer. You know, of course, uh, Henry murdered Alice 
in the study with a hammer. It totally makes sense now. That's supposed to be the pleasure of watching whodunits. But you can, you can never do that in-house. You're just supposed to marvel at how smart these people apparently are. I mean, I had seen this episode before, so I knew the plot and I knew the critical thing that happened that was supposed to allow you to be able to solve it on your own. Yeah. And you kind of can, but it's definitely not one of those, if you're looking closely enough or figuring out, it's just, if you're looking at it closely enough, you might guess. Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely not made to be solved. And I don't know. Yeah, I feel like we've been talking so much about House as a whole, but we're, we should be talking more specifically about this one episode because it is the disability. When you, when you understand like the way that House the TV show works, then you can basically predict how it will treat a disabled character. That's fair. So I think that's what I'm what I'm trying to say is that like it just sort of incorporates the disabled character as another kind of fun little problem for the main characters to solve. And here's the other thing: typically in a procedural show like this, House always saves the day because he's he's Sherlock Holmes. Of course, he catches the killer. Like that's that's this whole raison d'etre. That's the whole fucking. That's the whole point of tuning in every day is to again every day appreciate what a fucking supposed genius he is. But in this episode, because it is a cripple, and of course all cripples must die. Yeah. Uh, the main character dies, and then it's just sort of treated as like a as a lesson. And his dog them. dies. <laughs> The wheelie and his dog dies. Jesus, like you, able-bodied people, be careful of of us. We're we're death contagious. This is why disabled people aren't supposed to leave their house. If you go on a beach, you get worms, and then you die, and you kill your pet, <laughs> and you potentially kill the careers of the people who tried to treat you. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's real goofy. If you didn't find your tumor, the other doctors tell you that you were fine. Yeah. In a sense, it's just my disease getting worse. You come to terms with this disease. You know it's there. You know it's waiting. And every now and again, take something away. Took my walking. Took my modesty. Now it's taking one of my last pleasures. Oh, God, shut the fuck up, Scooby. What was his last pleasure? Eating or breathing or something? Eating. Presumably it was eating. I don't know. Existing was maybe one of his last pleasures. Having a dog? <laughs> Having a dog. Maybe he just like really liked Jello, and they're like, you can't have Jello no more. And that's one of I his mean, last pleasures. I mean, that would pleasures. be hard for you. <laughs> it's true. I love Jello. That's my real breaker. You can't have Jello. <laughs> <laughs> no wheel. Wait, wheel. <laughs> yeah, they make this guy super bitter, super jaded, even though he doesn't even have a severe SMA. He's old enough to have ideally sort of learned how to cope with it. He shouldn't be this like, it's not like someone just gave him this debilitating disease all of a sudden. Like it's It's a gradual process you get. You wrap your head around it. Yeah, it sucks every time you lose a new ability and 
there's a grieving process and it's sad and it, it makes you maybe bitter for a few bit. And like, I don't want to speak for everyone because my, you know, the way I cope is obviously different than anyone else's, but this isn't a good example of how, like, I don't want someone to watch this. And that's what I was afraid of when this person showed it to me because they were like, oh, we should watch this one. I just watched it. And fortunately, she was like, yeah, this is trash, right? Like, this isn't how people think. But I was afraid and still am that she and others would see an episode like this and go, well, yeah, that must be what they think. It's the trope that uh, the affliction is the character, or the character yeah. is the affliction. Uh, and House does it for every single episode, regardless of whatever illness they're tackling, um, which, you know, so it is sort of to be expected. But it's annoying because it it sets a frustrating precedent. It's like, imagine if you constantly talked about your disability in sad confessional platitudes. Yeah. Maybe that's slightly ironic because maybe that's something I've been doing during this very episode. <laughs> but still. I don't know. Disabled man doesn't really know how disabled he is because the show didn't really take the time to figure it out. He thinks the dog being a great actor barks a lot. Then they try to throw a red herring in there to be like, oh, he's going to get hit by a car. No, I'm crazy. Doesn't, not even related to the story at all. Ends up in the hospital. But again, it's not about him at all. It's The episode is really about House and his own quest for enlightenment and trying to find a better reason to live than just sucking souls out of his like henchmen, henchwomen. Hence people, and it's overall just uh, pretty garbage. I didn't like it, and I would recommend it, and I don't have a lot more to say about it, but um, they really tried to, to throw some disability in there. They're like, hey, can we help you go to the bathroom, bud? And he's like, well, yeah, obviously you're going to have to help me because I can't go to the bathroom on my own, dum-dum. <laughs> it's like, we're supposed to be like, oh, man, that must be awful. Like, I would be mad like that, too, if I couldn't poop on my own. Yeah, purely broad strokes, uh, purely in service of all of the uninitiated expectation of what disability is. Like, nothing new here, folks. Yeah, not really a lot to go on. thing is, I know some people with my disability who aren't that dissimilar to this in their mindset. And sometimes when I see something like this, I wonder if they were just the ones consulting on a show like this. Now, my initial impression is just nobody with a disability was consulting on this episode. But I guess there's a chance that they just found a grumpy wheelie and put him on as, a, as an advisor. I suppose you could give House a pass if it treated Hugh Laurie's disabled element with like more nuance. If the disability wasn't just sort of there to excuse him from poor behavior? Yeah, if there was a moment where Hugh Laurie and House empathized with this guy, and they're like, man, I know it's not the same, but my leg barely works and I ate it. I'm addicted to opiates and I don't have a dog. Your life seems hard. I get it. The closest they got to that was when the guy decided to off himself and just give up because 
the treatments were going to leave him stuck in bed. And he was like, well, what's the point then? I don't want to be a bed, really. And House was like, no, don't do that. There's there's no point because there's no after that. So you should stay here and suffer like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And it came off as cold rather than empathetic. And I know that that's House's thing is to be cold and yeah. unempathetic. Cruelty is House's love like, language. Dude, let him kill himself. It's okay. <laughs> but it, the scene didn't land. It was way more centered around a house and his own demons than like house maybe finally connecting with someone. It was just flat. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of hoping when you watch a show like this that if it can't be well written, like if it can't necessarily have a good message or good characterization, then it could at least be a roast of disability. <laughs> I mean, from a show like House, if the best he can do is tell another disabled man that there is no God, that's really fucking boring. Yeah. You know, like, at least take some of that snide roast energy and say something that shocks a person, a disabled person Uh, in the audience. Stir the pot a bit if you want. Go ahead. uh, But to be so boring and unoriginal, like, how is this supposed to be? you know, 2004's version of the prejudiced comedian who can't take a hint. Yeah, that would be fun, right? To just have House start ripping into this guy. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm not saying that that, that would, it would have been good for the time, but it would have been a hell of a lot more interesting. Yeah. What what would a TV show in 2004 be like if they if it took off the kid gloves with regards to disability? I, House is far meaner to terminal uh, patients with other diseases rather than to this guy, you know, who's in a wheelchair. It's true. Even in this episode, he roasted the guy for shooting himself and it wasn't the disabled <laughs> guy. Right. Yeah. It's, I don't know, man, like pretty boring, pretty banal, pretty shit. Cancer. Why not? What else can God throw at me? Hail, locusts, smiting of the firstborn. This all depends on how evil you've been. House, if it's cancer, it's spread everywhere, right? That's what's in my lungs, my kidneys. There is a chance by removing the eye, get the primary tumor, and three courses of radiation. That could, could, what? A few months, years? More likely months. Any of your other doctors have any cheerier diagnoses? If they do, they're wrong. This is the answer. It's the only way to help you. I already can't walk. I can't eat. You're telling me that the rest of my life is in this bed, puking in pain? We can manage the pain. I'd rather just get this over with. I've been trapped in this useless body long enough. It'd be nice to finally get out. Get out and go where? You think you're going to sprout wings and start flying around with the other angels? Don't be an idiot. There is no after. There's just this. House! Like, fuck off. Fuck off. 
Did you notice, however, like, I just want to make a point for my own sake. I'm sorry. But whenever Robert Sean Leonard or, you know, Wilson is talking, at least he's capable of, of achieving line readings where, you know, when he's sharing his medical knowledge, it doesn't sound like he's spouting it purely to prove that he's one of the smartest people in the room. Oh, yeah. Like, I would much rather have him be my supervisor or a teacher or whatever in this yeah. environment and house. Even though house is supposed to be the smartest guy in any room, he wouldn't care. I, and I know that that, that, that uh, Wilson is designed as the, the palate cleansing character. You know, he's supposed to be like the the relief from the collective cruelty of everyone else. Yeah. But I, I really actually think that the performance is what sells it. And I want that guy to like have his own successful career because <laughs> he's great. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we've covered it. This show sucks. This episode <laughs> especially. It fucking sucks. Uh, the same people don't all want, want to kill themselves. They definitely <laughs> get, you know, and shit. And some of them like Jello. We can lie on the beach without getting a fucking parasite. <laughs> and then if you do lie on the beach, it doesn't mean you and your pets are dead. Right. And the other thing is, in the opening scene of this movie, when we get to see Scooby-Doo, like, uh, b- before he gets sick, he's wearing, like, these shitty track pants. And, oh, yeah. Uh, On his way to meet a girl. He's like, hey, let's go to the ice cream store and meet that hot girl in the, behind the counter. I really dressed up for this. Hope right. I make a good first impression. Yeah, yeah, he looks, ugh. Because, you know, disabled people don't care about their health, their mental health, or their hygiene, or how they present themselves to the world. Yeah, he was, like, all sweaty, totally unshaven. Like, he was, like, not color-coordinated. Uh, he like he at one point when he gets out out of the van, he's like, "Oh, I'm cold," and he's like, "Dog, can you please go get my blanket?" And Are the we blanket... really supposed to believe that this guy drove himself? Like, we're supposed to believe that even though he needs help with every other aspect of his daily life, yeah, he drove himself to the first scene, right? Like, he doesn't have an attendant. His dog is the only attendant, and then this guy's in a hospital. For probably a couple of days, and yeah. nobody comes to show up. Yeah. No attendants are there. No home equipment. Like he just—he's an independent wheelie who needs someone to lie him on the beach. But his dog is the one that drives his van, and the dog is the one that sits in the hospital room with him the entire right. time and dies. And then dies. It's so dumb. But you know, it's all wrapped up by a nice. Alanis Morissette song as he's dying, so that makes everything okay. Yeah, and at least uh, House's underling learns not to let uh, a fucking dog eat ivermectin pills. Yeah, so it's not a tumor, it's not COVID, it's not a good episode. Nope. You're under Red Waker? Yeah, sure. Wheel breakers. Jim, I'm going to make you fully able-bodied. Okay. But every time you laugh, or you make a joke, and you think people will laugh, basically anytime something funny happens to you or by you, instead of laughter, you hear the sound of a sad dog whimpering. Like a dog that I grew up with? No, 
you don't necessarily have to know the dog, but even if you didn't go up with the dog, it's a sad sound. Yeah, I don't think I'd care. Really? I don't. No, I wouldn't care if it's not my dog. I don't give. You a also fuck. won't hear the sound of laughter ever again. <laughs> Whatever. Like a dog whimpering doesn't really pull my heartstrings. Wow, I'm honestly a little shocked. When you gave me the face when I first started telling you this, I thought the face was like, this is insane. Who would say you're okay to this? Well, okay, so let me clarify. If it was the whimper of a dog I grew up with who I loved a lot, then yeah. Or if I, if like every time someone said a joke to me and then uh, a cat in my life that I cared about was cosmically sad, <laughs> I would be, I would pr- Or if I'd it's a stranger's be- dog. You couldn't care less. I don't really and care you about... don't care about... See, here's the thing. I think even if you told me I wouldn't hear a sad sound, but I just would never hear laughter ever again, that yeah. would be enough for me to be like, no way I'll take that deal. Could you see laughter, though? Could you, like, watch it? Could you see the yeah, belly you laugh? watch them, like, smile and shake, but then you just hear dog whimpers. <laughs> I don't know. I just... That's not really much of a consequence for me. That's the coldest thing you've <laughs> ever said. Are you serious? By a mile. I I don't know. I love dogs. And if I see a sad dog, this, even though I hated this episode, when the dog started whimpering at his owner dying on the bed, I was sad. I don't know. I was just thinking you felt about nothing. like... I felt nothing. I was thinking about like the the trainer on set that was like denying the border collie a treat, and that's why it was whimpering. And I was like, I don't really care. <laughs> and it didn't make you sad. This no. poor hungry dog. No, dogs are dogs are so manipulative. When they're hungry, they they fucking cry more than Meryl Streep. Wow. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm really surprised, but devastated as well don't get me don't get me wrong i do love dogs but like, oh i've got you wrong <laughs> i've had so much coffee today that when i took a pee before the show no heart left no, when i took a pee before the show my bladder made keurig noises <laughs> <laughs> did it make a whimpering sound <laughs> no all right so you're gonna walk around fully able-bodied Without mm-hmm. ever hearing the joy of laughter ever again. Mm-hmm. And only hearing, will you continue to make jokes? Yeah. To me, the reason I make jokes is because there's a thing inside me that when I hear a laugh, I get like a spike. So like you just learned to see, rush. you'd learn to see the laugh. You'd watch for the, for like the eyes, <laughs> like the eyes. No, because you'd stuff. be hearing a whimpering side dog. And while you'd it'd become white noise after a while because you're so no, it wouldn't. (laughs) You'd be the coldest man. No, yeah, no. All right, well, uh, I'll be honest, I don't think I'll ever look at you the same way. (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) (laughs) do you have one? Oh, you get to be 100% able bodied, but for the rest of your life, uh, house is your physician and. Whenever he sees you, he thinks you have lupus. <laughs> I really wanted you to say it was a tumor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whenever he sees you, he finds a tumor. This is a dumb one. I need to refine it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where to go with that. 
Yeah, you get to be 100% able-bodied, but but Greg House is your best friend. Oh, Greg House is your only friend. Um, there aren't many people in my life. There's a handful that I can think of where you could say, this person will be your only friend. And I would be like, all right, yeah, I'll do it. Most people, like, I like people. I like different kinds of people. And having only one friend would be very challenging for me. Yeah. Having one friend that is Gregory House would be devastating. Because he would always be trying to bring me down. Yeah. He would never let me have a win. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard him laugh. He wouldn't laugh. Yeah. I mean, he's probably nice. Like, if I needed help, he'd probably help me. In a very close way. Yeah, he'd be like, you're an idiot, but here's the remedy. Here's the thing, yeah. Yeah, you're an idiot, but I'm a genius, so you're yeah. in luck. Forever remember this time I did something for you. Yeah. But it would be so miserable. Now, if you told me my only friend was a dog, I'd have to think about it. Really? But but you have a cat, and you're like, you're, I don't know, you're kind of over your cat. Yeah, but like, cats just aren't, it is a cool, he's a cool cat. I like him a lot, but. You might be the only, the only other being that's cooler than you, to be honest. Okay, let's not get crazy. <laughs> Jack is fucking cool. He is. Have you, have you ever seen Jack, like, walk around the, the, the headrest of your chair? That's, that's the coolest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. Like, your mom always asks me how Jack is doing, and I, I know, appreciate he's cooler it. than you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I respect that, but I also, I never know what she, he's always the same. He's still just the cat. Well, you're just Tony, and that's okay, enough. Yeah, that's true. But your mom doesn't care how I'm doing. <laughs> it's true. She did care about you once. She heard there was a really severe thunderstorm in Ottawa. And she's like, did you message Tony? Did you message Tony? Yeah, only because you wanted to make sure someone was alive to feed Jack. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't take this deal. I need friends that I like. I don't really like Gregory House. And I definitely wouldn't like him. If you said I had to be his friend once a week, I'd still have to think about it because... That would take time away from my other friends. I wouldn't want, I don't like to have that one friend that, like, you feel like you have to spend time with mm-hmm. out of some, like, obligation. And Gregory would be this guy. But having him as my only friend is an easy no way. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, I think we should wrap it up there. It's pretty late where we are right now when we're recording. For the record, folks, there's a chance we might not put an episode out next week. There's a chance. So it doesn't yeah. happen. Don't we're be, don't be we're kind of approaching our, our mutual summer holidays, and we kind of want to take a break because we've been making episodes solid now for almost two years. Yeah. And uh, so I might take a week off. Sue yeah. us. We need some beauty rest. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So in the meantime, uh, send us movie recommendations, send us a review, send yeah. us some wheel breakers. Send us your love. Yeah, send Tony some Miss Vicky's chips. Jalapeno, preferably. But I'm yeah. also a big fan of 
why I'm on black pepper. Um, Jamie's a big fan of goldfish. Is there a flavor in particular? Don't care. Eat them all. Don't care. Same as laughter and dog <laughs> whimpers. Just doesn't care. <laughs> um, yeah, send us snacks. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thanks for your support. We love you. Until next time. You seriously never heard Elevation by U2? I'm hanging up. 